And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West in the most haunted city in the country. <clears throat> well, today is February the 20th, the 51st day of the year. 314 days remain to the year's over with. The, uh, this is President's Day, and it's also, um, National Comfy Day, National Love Your Pet Day, National Muffin Day, National Cherry Pie Day, National Handcuff Day if you're into BDSM, Real Bread Week, National Engineers Week, National Invasive Species Awareness Week, National Nest Box Week, uh, the Carnival of Brazil, National Condom Week, uh, National Fasting February, National Black History Month, International Vegan Cuisine Month, National Hot Breakfast Month, National Cherry Month, National Bake for Family Fun Month, National Bud Bird Feeding Month, National Library Lovers Month, and North American Inclusion Month. Open your doors and bring in all your neighbors and give them everything you got. And that will make the liberal left so happy they'll build a statue to you. Well, thirteen thirty-nine, the Milanese army in St. George's uh, mercenaries of uh, Laudrizio Visconti clash at the Battle of uh, Parabiago. Visconti is defeated. 1472, Orkney and Sheffield are pawned by Norway to Scotland in lieu of a dowry for Margaret of uh, Denmark. If you can't give a dowry for your marriageable daughter, give land. 1521, Juan Ponce de Leon sets out from Spain for Florida with about 200 prospective colonists. In 1547, Edward VI of England is crowned King of England at Westminster Abbey. Yeah, in uh, <clears throat> 1816, Rossini's opera, The Barber of Seville, premieres at uh, Teatro Argentina in Rome. 1835, the 1835 Conception earthquake destroys Conception, Chile. 1846, Polish insurgents lead an uprising in Krakow to incite a fight for national independence. Then in 1864, we had the American Civil War, the Battle of Alusti, the largest battle fought in Florida during the war. 1865, end of the Uruguayan War with a peace agreement between President uh, Tomas Villanabra and the rebel leader Venancio Flores, setting the scene for the Destructive War of the Triple Alliance. 1872, for those that spend any time in New York City, we saw the Metropolitan Museum of Art open up. Then in 1901, the legislature of Hawaii Territory convenes for the first time after they threw out their king and queen. Uh, 1905, the Supreme Court upholds the constitutionality of Massachusetts' mandatory smallpox vaccination program and Jacobson versus Massachusetts. 
1909, the publication of the Futurist Manifesto in the French journal La Figaro. 1913, King O'Malley drives in the first survey peg to mark commencement of the work on the construction of Canberra. And then we've got uh, 1931, Congress approved the construction of the San Francisco Oklahoma Bay Bridge by the state of California. 1931, an anarchist uprising in Encarnacion briefly transformed the city into a revolutionary commune. 1933, Congress approves the Blame Act to repeal federal prohibition in the U.S., signing the 21st Amendment to the, Con uh, to the Constitution to state uh, ratifying conventions for approval. 1933 also saw Adolf Hitler secretly meeting with German industrialists to arrange for financing of the Nazi Party's upcoming election campaign. 1935, Carolyn Mickelson becomes the first woman to set foot in Antarctica that we know about. 1942, World War II, Lieutenant Edward O'Hare becomes America's first World War II flying ace. 1943, propaganda in World War II. American movie studio executives agreed to allow the Office of War Information to censor movies. Uh, it was uh, the patriotic thing to do, don't you know? Unfortunately, they picked people raised by maiden aunts to do the, uh, the censoring. 1943, saw the Saturday Evening Post published the first of Norman Rockwell's Four Freedoms in support of the President Roosevelt's 1941 State of the Union Address theme of Four Freedoms. 1944, World War II, the Big Week began with American bomber raids on German aircraft manufacturing centers. Also in 44, on this date, U.S. takes any we talk a toll. 1952, Emmy Dash becomes the first African-American umpire to organized baseball by being authorized to be a substitute umpire in the Southwestern International League. 1956, United States Merchant Marine Academy becomes a permanent service academy. 1962, Mercury Program. While aboard Friendship 7, John Glenn's becomes the first American to orbit the Earth, making three, count them, three orbits in four hours and 55 minutes. 1965, Ranger 8 crashes into the moon after a successful mission of photographing possible landing sites for the Apollo program astronauts. 1968, the China Academy of Space Technology, China's main arm for the research, development, and creation of space satellites was established in Beijing. 1998, American figure skater Tara Lipsky, at the age of 15, becomes the youngest Olympic figure skating gold medalist at the 1998 Winter Olympics in Nagano, Japan. 19, uh, 2003. During a Great White concert in West Warwick, Rhode Island, a pyrotechnic displays, that's the station nightclub ablaze, kills 100 and injures over 200 others. The uh, 2005, Spain becomes the first country to vote in a referendum on ratification of the proposed constitution of the European Union, passed it by a substantial margin, but with a low turnout.
2009, two Tamil Tigers aircraft uh, packed with C-4 explosives en route to the National Air Force headquarters are shot down by the Sri Lankan military before reaching their target. It was going to be a kamikaze-style attack. 2010, in Madeira Island, Portugal, heavy rain causes floods and mudslides, resulting in 43 deaths and the worst disaster in the history of the archipelago. 2014, dozens of Euro-maiden anti-government protesters died in Ukraine's capital, Kiev. Many killed by snipers. Makes you wonder. 2015, two trains collide in the Swiss town of Reims, resulting in as many as 49 people killed, um, injured, and the Swiss Federal Railways canceling some services. 2016, six people were killed and two injured in the multiple shooting incidents in Kalamazoo County in Michigan. Now, it makes you wonder what all this um, these shooting events are about. What's got folks stirred up? The one thing is there is no uh, punishment if you violate the law anymore. Um, unless you're one of those the system doesn't like, in which case... Uh, spitting on the sidewalk could get you a few years in prison. You know, we were talking in our last show about Velikovsky's um, um, book, Worlds in Collision. And uh, you know, a lot of um, you know, Yale, 17 years after the scientific aura wanted to list Velikovsky for daring to say that Venus had been a comet. Uh, Yale Scientific Magazine devoted an entire issue to vindicating Velikovsky's theories. So you have to ask yourself what happened in that 17-year period. Well, the old guard changed to some degree, and many bright young men had emerged clutching slide rules as they rode the tails of new man-made comets to Venus and... Uh, Mars, and for another, the stupefying and stultifying atmosphere of the McCarthy era of the early 1950s ended. Professor Lloyd uh, Motz of the Columbia University had an indication about the, the change of the tide in a letter in Harper's in 1963. He, uh, he said, I don't support his theory, but I do support his right to present his theory. Now, scientists and professors live in the uncomfortable atmosphere, the, the ap- academic rule, publish or perish. They grind out indeterminable research papers and studies, and not because they really have anything new to say, but because their livelihood often depends on their ability to put their names into print. I knew, I've got five degrees, and I knew several professors who was supposed to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. They were just so brilliant. They had published numerous papers. One of them, I honestly believe, was so frigging stupid. If he didn't have this side down on the bottom of his shoe, wouldn't know which one to put on the ground. He wore, used to carry his uh, chalk for his chalkboard in his pocket, and he always wore dark pants. Needless to say, 
It was uh, quite a sight. Now, this unfortunate system has spawned an army of men whose academic credentials are relatively sound, but who indulge in quasi-research. Right now, we've got numerous universities uh, trying to become woke so hard. One of them just changed the name of their law school because there was a rumor the man that gave the money to found the school may have owned a slave. So they couldn't have that. So they announced they're changing the name of the school. Well, unfortunately, that man's family still living. His great-grandson said, okay, fine. You can change it, but give back all the money we've donated over the years. Because we donated based on the fact that it was named after him. And we've got a document signed back in whenever it was done. Um, that for the donation of the money, the university agreed in perpetuity to name the school after him. So it's your call. And, I mean... You know, the woke culture is going to destroy education before we get done. All for in the name of what they call social justice. But social justice seems to be whatever the people screaming the loudest think it is. Some of these... Uh, academics managed to acquire considerable reputation by publishing a steady stream of books that nobody reads. Professor Motz's remark about the concoction of a charlatan seeking notoriety is somewhat revealing because scientists are painfully aware of the many charlatans in their own midst to thrive on notoriety. I, I read one book by a very well-known international uh, literary star and I'm fairly well read and I couldn't understand what the hell he was saying and neither could anybody I talked to about the book but it sold in the hundreds of thousands because he was a genius you know over and over in the past leaders of the scientific community have, have proven mere charlatans or as best competent organizers and administrators and their less notorious contemporaries made the real contributions to their field. It spills over, of course, into other fields, such as literary criticism, where a man will write a critical essay of a famous author, and others will write critical essays of the original critique. Soon, uh, the little literary magazines are actually feeding on themselves, and professors are fighting about their interpretations of the famous author. I mean, I read the other day that publishers are actually changing the content of books such as Charlie and the Chocolate Factory to make them more woke. And I don't understand the fascination of woke. I just don't. You know, Velikovsky became the 
most prominent victim of this system of um, people who have um, unpopular theories being attacked. If he had written a book about psychiatry, which was his own field, and or sex, and sold a million copies, nobody would have cared. But when he invaded the turfs of others, presented unpopular ideas on a logical and successful manner and got the book published well he just went too far he was a psychiatrist not an astronomer how dare he write and come up with a theory in the field of astronomy to the scientists of the 1950s he had to be a charlatan no question about it according to um, a statement made by Horbiger, who came up with the ice theory that was supported by Hitler, scientists basically said, you believe in us or you're an enemy and we'll do everything we can to destroy you. Astronomers were dead certain in the 50s that both Jupiter and Venus were elderly planets and after much peering through their telescopes, they constructed some very fanciful facts about both bodies that were taught in school to generations of school students as the gospel. I once asked a question in a, um, I think it was geology class in high school, how something that some scientists had said could actually be true. And I got raked over the coals for daring to question a genius. A couple of years later, I, I read a book that the genius's theories apart by another genius. Now, you know, assorted studies have proven that the surface temperature of Venus is somewhere between 25 and 30 degrees centigrade, making it a relatively cool planet and possibly one that we could inhabit. Dr. Velkovsky's theory was that Venus was actually an ex-comet been in solar orbit for only about uh, 34 or five, uh, 35 uh, centuries. And if he was right, the surface of Venus would have been much hotter. Well, in 1961, Dr. Frank Drake and other radio astronomers turned their equipment on Venus and discovered its temperature based on its radio emissions was at least 600 degrees Fahrenheit or about 315 degrees centigrade. Later, the U.S. and Soviet Union sent unmanned space probes to Venus confirmed it was a mighty hot place and that there might be some surface, a source of surface heat other than solar radiation. Now it's the second planet from the sun behind Mercury. And even a side turned away from the sun radiates considerable heat. Another interesting discovery is that Venus rotates slowly in a retrograde or clockwise direction and has movements which are in uh, sharp contrast to the other planets in the solar system. According to scientists at the Goldstone Tracking Station, um, maybe Venus was created apart from the other planets. Maybe it's a secondary solar explosion or a collision of planets. And there were other factors, such as the, the heavy hydrocarbon atmosphere of the planet, would seem to confirm Velikovsky's 1950 speculations. Venus was definitely an oddball planet, but astronomers of 1950 didn't know any of this. So Velikovsky had to be wrong and he had to be put in his place. 
Now, turning to the ancient records for his evidence, Velikovsky pointed out that early peoples had recorded Venus as an exceptionally bright object trailing smoke. The Chinese, the Mayas, the Toltec, the Aztecs all recorded its motion. And the early Venus um, apparently followed a much different orbit than the, uh, the orb we now see in our skies. People of Mesopotamia didn't even record Venus in their astronomical records. And later the Chaldeans described it as a bright torch of heaven that illuminates like the sun and fills the entire heaven. Other far-flung cultures preserve similar comments, all of which suggest Venus began as a comet that roared very close to the earth at one point, close enough maybe to cause tidal waves and spew burning fragments onto the earth's surface. Now another part of Velikovsky's evidence consisted of the stories of the rain of fire that encompassed the earth, and he quoted from Mexican texts as well as the records of the Assyrians, and if he was right, then some of the oil deposits on earth were the result of that celestial shower. But geologists have always assumed oil is created by a process that takes millions of years. Since worlds in collision was written, deposits of liquid hydrocarbons have been found and dated in the Gulf of Mexico and elsewhere, and gives every indication they're only a few thousand years old. In fact, when I was in school, we were taught that uh, decomposing dinosaurs were the source of oil. And eventually you're going to run out of dinosaurs, then you're going to run out of oil. Now we know that's not true, but you question that. Back when I was in school, you'd be standing in the corner. The ancient text described the comet Venus as coming from the fifth planet, Jupiter. So I guess the question is, could this be possible? And this was the flimsiest part of Velikovsky's theory, and the most widely attacked. And ironically, the very men who advocate the theory that tektites are the result of meteor impacts on the moon are the same ones that deny that a Jovian comet could come along, maybe uh, created by this same process. Velikovsky proposed the collision of planets as a possible source. The asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter could be made up of surviving fragments from that awesome event. Hitchin talked about the planet Tiamat, which uh, was a massive planet that occupied where we now orbit. And there was a collision that uh, decimated the planet Tiamat. Part of it became the Earth, and part of it became the asteroid belt. Well, our ideas about Jupiter itself have been revived. I've, we have searched and searched for what's making that noise, and we can't find it. The um, Our ideas about Jupiter have um, been revised completely since 1950. We used to think of it as a gigantic planetary body composed of gases and liquids. But in recent years, powerful radio waves have been detected coming from it. Apparently, there are massive electrical storms on its surface. And some of these storms affect earthly radio waves as much or more so than uh, sunspots do. Studies of all this have led to a new theory, which is now quite popular among astronomers, that Jupiter may not be a planet at all. It may be a cold star. Maybe one planet 
couldn't give birth to another, but a star, even a cold star, could actually give birth to a planet. Jupiter's diameter is approximately 11 times the diameter of the Earth, about 86,000 miles. And as near as we can determine, it revolves very rapidly on its axis. A Jovian day is less than 10 Earth hours long. And through the telescope, it appears to be ringed with cloud-like bands, most interesting feature of which is the, the famous red spot that's been talked about for centuries. It's an elliptical spot, 40,000 kilometers long and 13,000 kilometers wide, roughly equal in area to the entire surface of the Earth. Now, this was first observed by Robert Hooks in, uh, in 1664, and astronomers have been watching it ever since. It also rotates with the planet, but at a different speed. And it always remains in approximately the same latitude, wandering only slightly from its initial position. Morris Jessup and other ufologists have advanced the notion that the red spot's actually a great spaceship, a monumental arc from outer space, which transported the survivors of some dying world into our solar system. Some modern flying saucer contactees even claim that the uh, the Space Brothers have taken them to Jupiter and shown them the Ark. Other contactees have been told stories about the Ark by the space people. It's waiting for the day when the Earth will be evacuated by these our kindly Space Brothers. Then we'll all fly off to the stars. Now, not all of us. Actually, those lucky enough to have been chosen by the space people. And several dry runs have been held in recent years with the chosen contactees closing down their homes and businesses to go sit on a, a hill or a mountain and wait for the evacuation to begin. A number of these dry runs were documented uh, by John Keel in his book, UFO Operation Trojan Horse. Whatever may be said about it, Jupiter's Ark is an integral part of the modern flying saucer lore. Stanley Kubik's did a movie called 2001, A Space Odyssey. And it added to the lore by having astronomer, uh, astronauts head for Jupiter after a mysterious monolith was discovered on the moon. This monolith, a faceless gray slab, is used throughout the film as a symbol of some extraterrestrial force guiding man's destiny. In the closing scenes of 2001, scenes which have baffled a lot of moviegoers. An astronaut arrives on Jupiter only to enter into a new phase of evolution, a kind of rebirth, if you will. Showing of its cinematic mysticism, the film is a restatement of what many cultists have been saying all along. The flying saucer aficionados have been misled by astronomical terminology. Although the red spot is usually turned an object, it could actually be almost anything. Bernard Peake, an amateur astronomer, called it a raft and suggested it could be some form of iceberg in a Jovian atmosphere. Professor Raymond Hyde in the British Meteorological Office proposed in Scientific American in February 1968 it could be a visible part of a phenomenon known as a Taylor column, a Stagnant cylinder of liquid centered above some depression or typogra um, topographical feature on the planet's surface. 
Frank Edwards, a radio news commentator and author of a number of UFO books, um, poetically equated it with a giant eye always turned toward the earth. Some followers of Velikovsky have asserted that the red spot is really the, uh, the hole left behind when Venus was catapulted out into space. I wonder for a body the size of Venus, which is only a little bit smaller than the Earth, to be successfully hurled out of Jupiter, would have to attain an incredible uh, escape velocity to overcome the great mass and gravity of the, the planet. And achieving this velocity, uh, <laughs> one more time, velocity would require a tremendous amount of energy, or as Professor Motz put it, to eject a planet like Venus, Jupiter would have had to release it in a manner of seconds or minutes, as much energy as the sun emits in more than a year. And Jupiter would have appeared as bright as a nova, or an exploding star, which is about a million times as luminous as the sun. We don't have um, a report in history about that. Velikovsky attempted to explain this by theorizing that a large mass on a near-collision course with Saturn and Jupiter would have set the cosmic machinery into motion. Well, whatever may have happened, Velikovsky's main premise is that Venus is a young planet. And he predicted in 1950 that Venus would have proved to be hot and it would uh, display orbital eccentricities. And all this has now been verified. He claimed the ancient records stand as proof that Venus was not even present in the skies until fairly recent times, when it first appeared as a comet, uh, hauling a tail and followed a course somewhat different from the present one. Its passage through the solar system caused massive disturbances on Earth and probably wholesale destruction. There are written records of these disturbances and archaeological and geological evidence of the de destruction. Of course, uh, the powers that be turned a blind eye because Velikovsky could not be right. He was not a scientist. He was a psychiatrist. Relative to recent times, Venus has posed a new mystery. Today's astronomers agree that our sister planet has no moons. But a satellite was observed orbiting Venus in 1672 by uh, an astronomer by the name of Cassini. And he saw it again in 1686. Other well-known astronomers, using primitive but adequate instruments, cited it in 1740, 1759, 1764, and 1791. And they all noted the same thing. It seemed to be about a fourth the size of Venus itself, which gave it a diameter of about 2,000 miles. And it's very bright, almost luminous. Now, it's hard to lose something 2,000 miles across, even in space, but... No astronomer has seen this object since 1791. And flying saucer cultists have taken Venus's vanishing satellite to their bosom, so to speak, claiming naturally it was really a gigantic spacecraft. But the object's extreme luminosity could mean that it was actually a fragment of Venus itself, following a retrograde orbit that eventually sent it to the planet's surface. Well... We followed a long and bizarre trail from the ancient uh, rumors of massive catastrophes to the Atlantis-bound theories of Donnelly to the Ice Age notions of 
collaborators and filings of the carefully researched and thought-out conclusions of Dr. Emmanuel Velikovsky and his still controversial concept of colliding worlds. Now, these men and their many followers are probably mostly wrong, but there's always a chance they might be partially right. While their peers and colleagues have fumed and fussed and fought and ridiculed and attacked their bowl synthesis, the new generation of scientists has steadily uncovered substantial scientific evidence that seems to support them. New theories undoubtedly seize upon this new evidence and construct concepts that will make them seem pikers. We're beginning to realize that the Earth's crust is in constant motion, that the continents do move. The old planet may flip-flop on its axis every few thousand years, causing water to bury land areas, bringing new land areas to the surface, and thrusting temperate zones into the Arctic and coal to be smothered by ice. And if we can accept Velikovsky, our little mud balls are running the constant hazard of encountering objects and forces in space that can wreak unbelievable havoc in hours or days. The moon could even fall on us one day, or the sun can certainly explode. Our whole technological civilization could be wiped out in a flash. So it wouldn't be too surprising if other great civilizations might have flourished on this planet many thousands of years ago. Other races, not necessarily linked to us biologically, could have existed, existed here. The, uh, the supergiants of Paul Ells and Bergier could have been real. All that survived of that ancient race of the puzzling stone monoliths and the great mounds and ridges. And it was, a log- it was logical for a super-civilization to move from the construction of mounds and earthworks to the building of the more permanent pyramids of Egypt and China and South America. Their culture, remnants of it, survived and were imitated by early man. For thousands of years, stonemasons labored all over this planet, erecting pyramids and temples and great cities. And our sciences have timidly attempted to reconstruct the history of the past three or four thousand years, never daring to stray from the path laid out by the leaders in the field. And woe be to anybody who uh, dares to actually ask a serious question. You know, taking a step away from space and looking back at the planet itself, the animal world is filled with incongruous redundancies. There are insects that resemble twigs, fish that look like underwater plants, animals that appear to be rocks and ferns, some non-poisonous snakes imitate the coloring and appearance of their deadlier cousins. Numerous tasty insects discourage your enemies by imitating poisonous centipedes and scorpions. The animal and the insect world is thronging with fakers and imitators and masters of camouflage. One insect is so curly disguised that it can march along with the formations of fierce army ants and is not even noticed. It even imitates the scent of the army ants. And I have seen army ants decimate a village in South America in less than an hour. 
Now, man, the most vicious and wanton killer of the animal world and the natural enemy of all wild things has his imitators as well. Overt contacts between man and what I guess we can call para-man have numbered into millions throughout history. Legend and lore are rich with such incidents of contact. Our great religions are founded upon encounters with angels and demons. Annals of psychic phenomena are filled with accounts of seemingly chance meetings with these ultra-terrestrials. Some of them seem dull and inconsequential and even easily explained. Others are witnessed by groups of reliable people and produce testimony that could have been written by a drunk science fiction author. Now, living among us undetected may be creatures. And I'm not talking, for the most part, about aliens from another planet. But creatures that, to all outward appearances, are human beings. That was discussed in by ufologist Alex Saunders in Quest magazine in October 1969. So it's not a new theory. The mimic would have necessity be a lone wolf, largely living in a large, bustling city where the eccentric and the odd seem to flourish unhindered. For it's a curious fact of nature that that which is in plain view is often best hidden. Another famous ufologist, Amy Michelle, has also commented on these, well, let's call them mimics. It's, it's certain cases have been checked and found to be perfectly authentic. But they're so absurd that folks don't dare talk about them. No useful research can ever be done as long as absurdity produces complexes in most of us. Early man was very aware of the existence of these mimics and tended to separate them into two groups. They referred to them as gods and demons. All religions have always warned their followers to be cautious of false angels and demigods. The Bibles repeatedly discusses these entities and their influence on man, always describing them as human-like beings, usually traveling in threes and possessing remarkable superhuman powers. That sound familiar to anybody? In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Three men, usually oriental in appearance and dressed in somber black, play important roles in both flying saucers and religious lore. For years, the flying saucer researchers have encountered these men in blacks and believe them to be secret agents of the CIA sent to harass witnesses. These MIBs, as they're called by many, have been seen most often riding around in large black automobiles, usually Cadillacs, and they've engaged in frightening tactics harassing amateur UFO sleuths. There are hundreds of reports from all over the world in which these mysterious gentlemen have approached UFO witnesses and investigators and warning, even threatening them to be silent about what they'd seen or found. Since these entities and their big black automobiles have an uncanny talent for disappearing into thin air, investigators examining the stories of their victims have tended to dismiss these accounts, uh, inc- uh, accounts as lies or hallucinations. Then, as happened in so many cases, when these skeptical investigators had MIB encounters of their own, they've panicked in total confusion. There's been an appalling 
number of sudden deaths and suicides and nervous breakdowns among UFO investigators over the last, I don't know, let's say 40 years. On a religious level, these same MIBs answering the same descriptions of the UFO harassers have always been regarded as agents of the devil, or even the devil himself. Or in this age of wokeness, perhaps the devil herself. Antics of these creatures have kept the devil myth alive in modern times, and there have been numerous religious cults hopelessly engaged in battling and trying to outwit them, and they always manage to stay one jump ahead of their pursuers. Most of their deeds and manipulations appear to be nothing more than mischievous games. The activities of these parahumans are largely confined to specific areas of the planet where they appear and reappear century after century. According to several writers, the angels keep their ancient places. Thus, there are many, well, let's call them haunted places all over the world, shunned by ancient man or made sacred by him. Um, these are precise geological and geographical locations. Anybody digging into the history and lore of these locations will find thousands of accounts of ghosts and demons and monsters and flying saucers pinpointed to within a few square miles and covering a thousand years or more of time. The F.O. cultists uh, believe places are windows, so to speak, entry points for spaceships from some distant planet. Occultists teach that there are gateways, weak spots in the Earth's uh, etheric envelope through which beings from another space-time continuum can seep into our reality. Sussex County in England is one gateway, as are the Mississippi Valley and the Ohio Valley and parts of our western states, such as the area around Prescott, Arizona. There are literally thousands of these weak spots all over our planet. Paranormal and supernatural activities in these areas seem to be controlled by some kind of complicated cyclic factor. Periodically, all hell breaks loose in these places simultaneously, and we have what's called a flap or a wave of UFO sightings, apparitions, poltergeists, sudden inexplicable disappearances of animals and human beings, and mysterious fires, and even a form of mass madness. Researchers are only now beginning to untangle the cycles involved. For some unknown reason, a high proportion of these activities seem to occur on Wednesdays and on the 24th of the month. Been a, this has been a stable factor throughout history. Biblical prophet Zechariah reported in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 7, an angelic visitation on the 4th and 20th day of the 11th month circa 520 B.C. The most famous flying saucer sightings of modern time, done by Kenneth Arnold near Mount Rainier in Washington, occurred on June 24, 1947. Note that many of the events discussed throughout uh, our shows took place on the 24th of the month. Paranormal events also seem to cluster around the 10th of the month. Early peoples were aware of these factors and linked them to the phases of the moon. They thought the full moon influenced human behavior and produced lunacy. And I will point out on every full moon, uh, emergency rooms across the country are full of, of uh, patients. Appearances of UFOs and assorted apparitions do seem to increase during specific periods of the lunar cycle. And human mind does seem to be involved in some fashion. Many of these things have been 
carelessly dismissed as hallucinations because only certain people can see things at certain times. There were a great many factors seem to be involved. Recent, recent studies indicate that persons of high psychic potential who experience prophetic dreams and flashes of extrasensory perception are more prone to see these things and people with little or no psychic ability. Polls and tests conducted over the past 150 years by assorted scientists indicate that about a third of the population possesses uh, active or latent psychic abilities. And they seem to constitute our main body of UFO witnesses. The other two-thirds who never had any personal experience of this sort, and so naturally they, they dismiss all this as rubbish. And any witnesses have to be crazy. Two independent statistical studies of available UFO reports were conducted in 1970 and confirmed that the highest number of UFO sightings took place on Wednesday. In the American Flying Saucer Investigative Committee of Columbus, Ohio, ran a study in 929 UFO reports from 1968 and found that Wednesdays produced the greatest number, 152. More elaborate professional computer study of 7,025 sightings from the 1921 through 1969 was carried out by Dr. David Saunders of Colorado University. He also found the greatest number of these sightings, over a 1,000 occurred on Wednesdays. The lowest number in the Ohio study was 117 on Sunday. The lowest number in the Saunders study was 903 on Saturdays. And although these are only pilot studies and a lot more work on, along this line will have to be conducted before any definite conclusions can be reached. It's obvious these things are not random and sporadic, but are governed by a definite time cycle of some sort. Now, the computer study of 1,200 uh, anomalies and unusual occurrences sifted from the works of Charles Fort was carried out by C.L. Mallows of the Bell Telephone Labs, founded a broader cycle than 9.6 years was somehow involved. The uh, conclusion is inescapable. These cycles of activity which pass through our world like radio waves of enormous length must be, have a common cause. This, uh, there was a work, a study of Charles Ford's work done by Damon Knight. He wrote a book called Charles Ford, Prophet of the Unexplained. And he said the causes of these cycles, the controlling force that keeps them in synchrony, uh, have to lie outside the Earth. The Bell study includes such uh, diversified phenomena as uh, skyfalls, where odd objects drop out of the sky, unusual storms, such as rains of frogs and fish, things observed in space and things seen in the sky. All these phenomena tend to cluster or occur simultaneously in specific months and specific years. And these waves or cycles of events were repeatedly repeated approximately every 9.6 years. Study dealt largely with data from the 19th century. Ancient magicians and seers were quite familiar with these uh, cyclic factors. Earliest religions and occult lore discusses uh, rays that periodically sweep our planet from some extraterrestrial source and cause everything from miracles to madness and catastrophes. Strangely, the Australian Aborigines, the South American Indians, and the tribes of Africa, as well as the ancient Babylonians and other early cultures, all pinpointed the Pleiades and the constellation of Orion as the source of these mysterious rays. 
and race from outer space are an integral part of all human folklore. In time, all these intangibles will be pinned down by scientific investigators. Of course, studies of this kind are very unpopular among scientists. It causes you to question your betters, as has been said to me a number of times. And although we know or have relearned that all paranormal manifestations have a tendency to occur in the same places year after year, that they follow specific patterns within our own time scale that uh, only specific people can witness or become involved in these events. The logical jumping-off place for any future investigation is to study the witnesses in depth and explore these gateways carefully and methodically. One significant factor, which is hardly a secret to the occultists, is that the window areas tend to be places where peculiar magnetic faults exist. Our planet's covered with magnetic faults, and interestingly enough, many of them are grouped around the ancient mounds, temple sites, and spots where flying saucers are seen most frequently. People ori uh, fit, uh, psychically oriented people living in these regions tend to be have extraordinary experiences with elementals and angels and MIBs and spacemen. One leading authority on mythology and mysticism, a um, man by the name of Robert Graves, also stated, is from sacred places made so by the radiation created by magnetic ores. His village, for example, is a kind of natural amphitheater enclosed by mountains containing iron ore, which makes a magnetic field. Most holy places in the world, holy not by some accident like a hero dying or being born there, are of that same type. Back in the Middle Ages, the Vatican pointedly ordered that new churches should be constructed on the sites of old temples wherever possible. The tradition of sacred places runs deep and seems to be largely based on the uh, continuous observations of paranormal manifestations. Entities who allegedly approached human beings in miraculous events frequently ordered a church or temple to be built on that spot. But we didn't need an order to erect a great church of Lourdes and Fatima after the entities uh, appeared there. And you have to remember the legendary 19-year cycle of Stonehenge, where the god was supposed to appear. If you multiply the 14 cycle of 9.6 by 2, you get... 19.2. Magnetic survey of the U.S. was carried out by the government in the 1950s. Maps detailing magnetic variations in nearly every state can be obtained from the Office of Geological Survey in Washington, D.C. Comparisons of the concentrations of paranormal manifestations of these maps show unique clusters around the magnetic aberrations. So could it be that periodic sweeps of those rays from outer space set up some kind of psychic or psychic reaction to these fault areas? This is a question that could be answered scientifically if only somebody put up the money and the equipment and the personnel to make a study. You don't know what you're going to find. We're only reobserving the things that awed early man and inspired his superstitions and beliefs. Electromagnetic energy plays a key role in these manifestations. And we're still learning about it. Our planet may be constantly interchanging energy with some outside force. This exchange of energy is an important part of occult belief. We're told it occurs on every level. Chinese philosophers have long ago contended that man was moon food. 
for by that they meant the energy of individual souls was drained off and absorbed by some extraterrestrial force and needed that energy to replenish itself. Later theologians extended this to form the classic explanation of where the subject of a war between God and the devil. A war to win the souls of man and thereby control the planet. So the demons and the MIBs who appear in earlier times are supposed to have been after souls. They made lavish promises, according to the records, and offered fanciful philosophies and cosmologies. And, but as Swedenborg found out, they always proved to be nothing but uh, splendid liars. Early investigators and thinkers soon realized they were dealing with magical beings who could imitate man in his works. And instead of being solid, physically stable assemblies of cells and matter, these entities were apparently temporary manifest uh, manipulations of energy. So the word transmogrification was used to describe them. And these entities were, according to the lore, could assume any form from a wolf to a cat to a house, a ship, or an iridescent god of awesome proportions. They could appear clothed in rags or in gold crowns and expensive velvet robes. And worst of all, they displayed a penchant for playing all kinds of games with us, manipulating our fears and beliefs, and even conning us into going to war against each other for their benefit. One alarming facet of their countless messages to Precipitants and contactees is their preoccupation with spreading racist propaganda. These messages recorded throughout history have filled with this propaganda. If the recipient was a uh, an Indian, the propaganda was aimed at a nearby tribe. If it was Hindu, it was directed against the Muslims. The elementers are purveyors of hate and maybe much of the racial prejudice blinding the human race originally the product of their teachings. Even the wonderful space people and brothers from our other planets managed to play these games. There was a, a New York radio person I would name Long John Neville, and he spent thousands of hours interviewing contactees and UFO buffs on the air over WNBC and wrote a book called Way Out World. And in it, he offered an interesting comment. He said, a bit, that is, uh, a bit that has always bugged me is the racist propaganda keeps cropping up from one group to another. In this area, regrettably, he said, I'm unable to name names and cite occasions since the illusions are always so carefully phrased so that the offenders could easily deny the intention of their remarks. But the meaning is there nevertheless. As is usually the case, the unfavored party, par, uh, parties, racially speaking, are Jews or Negroes, and the themes of both fascism and communism seem to echo from behind the scenes on more than a few occasions, but it's all part of the the scenario. Some contactees who claim to have visited Mars blandly point out the planets divided into zones with the, the blacks and the, the Jewish Martians carefully segregated from the others. Even contactees of liberal persuasions repeat with some dismay the, the racist remarks made by the Venusians. And unfortunately, the, the Jews are a favorite target of this outer space propaganda, as if they don't have enough trouble already. Till the past five or six years, racial prejudice was actually a basic part of all Western religions. After digging down to the source of these racist beliefs, there are always the ancient teachings of dubious messengers. And they've kept the human race stirred up again and at each other's throats for thousands of years. 
Now, finally, the Catholics are beginning to soften their traditional anti-Semitism, and the Mormons are beginning to face the fact that the blacks are also human beings. When I took that position, it cost me a career. Aside from their inveterate racism, the mimics are also fond of exploiting tense political situations. A band of phantom Indians plagued the settlers of Gloucester, Massachusetts in 1692. They appeared night after night, skirmishing with the English and firing bulletless guns. And although the Indians never killed or scalped anybody, the colonists were understandably upset and heavily fortified their positions. Sir Walter Scott wrote about it, and he said the English became convinced they were not dealing with real Indians, but with the devil and his agents that assumed their appearance. Well, on that note, we've come to the end of today's show. We'll be back tomorrow and talk more about Mimics of Man. Until then, this is Ken Hudnell for the Ken Hudnell Show. Saying have a truly great evening. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.